Christian, you got to turn off the vibrator before we start recording. This is Palmer Quest, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Palmer Quest is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology. With three techno experts, Eric Newman. Hi! Chris Grabowski. Hello. And Tyler Dinner. Hey there. This week's episode, Newsday 3.0. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another Polar Quest. I have moved down the wrong fader because my name is Eric Newman, and I don't know how to work a mixing console. How are you guys doing? <laughs> to my left is the wonderful Chris Grabowski. A few blocks over there. Hey. Yep. Yep. And uh, I don't have any uh, faders to deal with. You don't have so, any faders uh, to deal with? That's fine, because I'm the, I'm the guy producing yeah. the show. And uh, to your left, also nobody, somebody with no faders is the wonderful Tyler Dinner. Hi, Tyler. How are you? I'm pretty good, although I'm missing faders. Oh, you're all... Well, that's okay. I mean, listen, if we all had faders, the show would sound like a mess. Yeah, but I got fader FOMO now. Oh, fader FOMO. Well, you're going to have to figure out how to deal with your fader FOMO. I think I'll figure out another way to get faded. There you go. Well, we can do that after the show. Uh, <laughs> how is your How is your week this week, guys? Uh, busy. Busy. But fun. We had a. Did you guys have off on Monday? Yeah, actually, we had that. Yeah, it was a slightly shorter week. Did some and work from home. It was a good time. Yeah, I did a lot of working from home because I am. Uh, I'm about to die. Why are you going to die this week? Why am I going to die? You know, we can make this a new segment. Why <laughs> Why does Eric think he's going to die this week? You know, and that actually talking about it really does help uh, me stay alive because I have I suffer from something that is very common amongst the Jewish people. Massive anxiety no. and neurosis. Yeah, no. And so the thing is, no. is that I, um, I, got, I finally uh, bit the bullet. I got some anxiety medicine. And that messed me up more. Oh, my God. You know how like bars all week. Oh man. Yeah, no. I, I wish. No, it was like it was like heavy duty stuff. They get, it's like yeah, it's it was heavy duty stuff. It's called Citalopram. The uh, the brand name is Selexa. I don't know if you've heard of it. And um, it didn't have a sad rock for a mascot, did it? Uh, uh, no. Uh, oh no, it's not an antidepressant per se. Uh, um, yeah. Did it have a nervous cartoon character? It has, yeah, it has it has Mort from Family Guy. They're just like, I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do. Anyway, um, so you know how like when you're a kid and you start crying and your parents go, you better stop crying. I'll give you something to cry about. Yeah. That's what this drug did to me. It's like, you better calm down or I'll give you something to calm down about. And holy crap, I spent so much of this week... Just like with my heart pounding out of my chest, I thought I had anxiety before, but not in this drug. <laughs> and they, and I, ironically, all of these uh, selective serotonin re- reuptake inhibitors (SSRIs) do have an ad- have a, a paradoxical effect the first week or two while you get on them. Which, if you have debilitating anxiety, why would you take a drug that makes it worse? That's just re- ah, I don't know. <laughs> so this is gonna suck for a while, it's, but you'll get used to it and it's better. Exactly. Well, here's 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 how I. Here's how I see it. I go about my day at like a 7 out of 10 in terms of anxiety. You know how much of a spaz I am. And yeah. this drug kicked me up to like a 12 out of 10. And then I'm going to go back down to like a 5. So if I went from 7 to 5, that wouldn't be that much of a difference. But if I went from 12 to 5, that's like a holy crap. That's a world of a difference. I'll feel so much better. And that's why this drug grosses more than the record industry. Anyway, 
Um, <laughs> no, and so and so uh, on top of that, so I felt I felt really weird, and I had a, a lot of uh, you know chest issues this week, and so I went to the doctor's office on Thursday, and I said, hey, this drug is really making me wig out, and they gave me an EKG, and they said, oh, it's abnormal. You have to go see a cardiologist. Great. So that'll calm you down. Oh yeah, exactly. And I can't see the cardiologist until Tuesday. The doctor, my doctor, yeah, my that's some good American healthcare. Exactly. My uh, my general practitioner said it's minor. It's nothing to worry about. You're probably fine. However, please see the cardiologist at NYU Hospital on Tuesday because of your abnormal EKG. That and I said, and she goes, "Don't freak out." I said, "Well, I'm already freaking out." You said abnormal cardiologist hospital. What? What? That, those are the great. That's a great recipe for me to freak out. This is how it ends, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> and ironically, the thing is, is that all of my symptoms really can be traced back to anxiety. But all of my symptoms also give me more anxiety, and that's <laughs> a vicious cycle. So. I don't really know. You need to chill out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that bit of empathy came to us from our studio audience. Hello, everybody. Yes. That's right. We keep them in a Tupperware container during the week, and we take them out on Sundays just for us. And it is a nice, crisp, warm Sunday evening for midwinter. I think spring is here. No. No. Just, it was 50 degrees yesterday. It's 50 degrees today. It's going to be 50 degrees tomorrow. I believe that is called spring. In the Northeast. This happens every year. Well, it, since global warming. And then it gets super cold for the next three months, and then you it's know, still like when the I, middle of April and freezing. Uh, I don't know. When I, when I talk, mm-hmm. when I talk mm-hmm. to the older people that grew up here, you know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, they go, it wasn't as it never happened. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, today's episode is a Newsday, and we always do these Newsdays epi- uh, episodes. We always do these Newsday episodes when there's so much stuff going on. We mentioned this last week. The news is ramping up that there's, we, just have to, we just have to look at it all. And rather than having a central topic for the show, which also will help our ADD fan. This um, week's South Park episode will not feature a big moral con- statement at the end by Kyle. Is there a South Park <laughs> episode this week? No, but oh. that's basically what you we're gotta, saying. You got my hopes up, Tyler. You know, I learned something today. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> There's none of that on this episode for Tech this week. <laughs> very good. Uh, very good. Oh, my God. You killed Kenny. Yeah. Um, I'm really turning into Kyle's cousin, Kyle. <laughs> Kyle, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. We've been calling you that for years. (laughs) My asthma. All right. Um, Let's see. Something really quickly. The government shut down, and uh, there's somebody that really doesn't like it. It is because when the government shuts down, it really represents a breakdown in the democracy, in the democratic process in the United States, and it really should not happen. I don't think that the government is run by adults. I think the government is run by petulant children. And that's all we'll say about that. Uh, Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I wouldn't mind the government shutdown if we didn't, didn't have to pay tax while they were shut down. If you don't go to work, yeah, you don't part. get paid. Why does the government? Yeah. Just putting that out there. Hey. Uh, somebody's making a dollar. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's see. And because they can't, and you know what else? Because they can't spend money during the shutdown, all of that money sits in these accounts collecting interest, and the government's actually profiting off of the shutdown. Anyway. 
I love oh. that political tone we type. We love to take sometimes. And when I say we, I mean me. Uh, so by all our money, mean all the trillions of dollars of negative money that we owe people. It's all fiat currency anyway. It doesn't matter. Uh, let's see. Something much more entertaining and, and, uh, than, than the government shutdown is that people are vaping Tide Pods now. Have you heard about this? In case you weren't stupid enough, time to get done. Reasons why we don't have universal health care. People in America are vaping and dabbing Tide Pods. So is that like the equivalent of bath salts, but in a vape? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but st- serious question. Yeah. Is that like what it does? <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, in the video, which was posted to Instagram, uh, the Instagram account Vape Tricks, the man could be seen piercing a Tide Pod and then putting the chemicals in his vape pen. It is not known what, ex- what he expected to happen, but the resulting vape looked incredibly painful. Despite, this immeasurable, despite his immeasurable stupidity, uh, the man appears to have been unharmed by his decision to vape a Tide Pod. And because he's been unharmed and he's still alive, people, of course, are still doing it. But what I'll say is if you're vaping Tide Pods, just remember that your walls are full of cotton candy. You know what, uh, what I'll say to this really? is, hopefully the Tide Pod made the guy sterile, because this is a guy who really does not deserve to procreate. Well, it is, you know, it is, you know, a cleaning agent. <laughs> <laughs> Get it? Sterile? Ooh. Uh, let's see. I like it. I like it. I prove. <laughs> there you go. Uh, moving, moving on to technology, you know, the thing that we're doing a show about. What's um, that? <laughs> you, you can use, you guys talked about a YubiKey. Which is not yeah. new, but you guys talked about it recently. I just have regular keys, you know. I got them copied at like the hardware store. Is, are they like? <laughs> um, are they like Dragon Ball Z? Can you get it? Is that like a Yu Gi Oh? A Yu Gi Oh key? There we go. No, they're not like that. They're like a, basically like a GPG key that you have on a physical. Uh, device. But what about my Yu Gi Oh things? I put my. I don't know what Yu Gi Oh uh, is anymore. I, I, I don't know what that is. I don't know. Anyway, it was after my time. Uh, let's see. You can actually use a Yubi key to log uh, as an SSH key and uh, log into SSH in an even more secure manner. Unless you, of course, you get mugged and your key gets stolen, and then everything that you have is gone. Well, they're just uh, like RSA keys. Uh, they're used in GPG or SSH anyway. Just these Yubi uh, keys happen to be very well locked down. You can also do a 2FA using a YubiKey, though, which is kind of... Uh, isn't that what YubiKeys mostly are for, 2FA? Uh, often 2FA, but you can also use it as, hey, I just have this uh, important data. Like, uh, I know some people, like, uh, based on, uh, like, what organization they work at, are given a YubiKey to be used as their GPG key for each Git commit they make. So oh, way, Jesus Christ. Like, you, I, if you I have to two-factor authenticate every time you commit something to a Git repo, no, it's not. It two sounds like it's just like a the, USB stick that they put the, in there, and it has to read that. Yeah. It is basically. It's like and, you need a license for a Cubase or something for a music right. program. Yeah, pretty much. And like what what it is though is just a key that at least for the Git commit, it just signs the commit. So like I have mine set up uh, to actually uh, I'll sign every commit of mine, but I don't have to even put in my password. Just automatically, just say, I just say sign. Cool. And then and then yeah. Git says. I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes. Life is demanding without understanding. I get this cool little green verified badge next to all my commits. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. Uh, moving on again, uh, Lyft came out with something good. Um, they came out with a React JavaScript to TypeScript transformation uh, piece of, of software. Library. There we go. And yet their prices are still going up. Well, that's because they have to pay for their you developers know what to work I on saw stuff today? like this. I saw a Go to JavaScript uh, compiler. Oh, which one? This one that's been around for a I while. Think it's, I, sure. I think it's github.com slash Christian's Headache. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sort of. Uh, it's called Gopher JS, the one that I've seen. Oh, there you go. Um, Gopher JS sounds like the Gopher. Uh, what was that? The email client back from the eighties. Back in the back day. in the day, the good old days. The thing is about TypeScript, a, a React TypeScript, is that a React itself is trying to introduce strongly typed objects into the React ecosystem on their own. So. I don't necessarily. I understand that you know TypeScript is a, TypeScript is kind of a language. It's a dialect of JavaScript made by Microsoft, but I don't necessarily know the advantage that you would get from TypeScript in React. What do you think, either of you? Uh, it's yeah, going to save you like maybe one bug in your entire development process of your life ever. Interesting. Well, maybe I would two say bugs. That. I do find uh, stricter typing uh, 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 makes things a lot easier. Like, there's so many times where you go to encode an object and like it'll just randomly, all of a sudden, something that wasn't in will be a string. I've got what? Well, exactly. I, that I, that specific thing happened to me this past week in JavaScript. I had a integer zero versus string quote zero bug that took me hours <laughs> to track down. Oh, it's super. I've annoying. had that issue. Well, I. I had a user uh, create an issue in one of the open source libraries that uh, my company uh, publishes. Uh, they opened up an issue on the Go. It's like a Go client to a REST API, and it's saying this is like, oh, because our API server happens to be written in Python, every once in a while there's just random uh, encoding that should be an int that is a string. Mm. Well, here are some key features for uh, Lyft's React JavaScript to TypeScript. They say it proxies prop types to React.component generic type and removes prop types. Yes, that's the, that's the whole thing. Because if you remove the prop types object, that removes Facebook React's strong typing mechanism. And then they're just replacing that with their own. Uh, let's see. They hoist large interfaces for props and state out of a React.component uh, and with the... Um, forgot what that's called with the brackets what is that oh it's like a java uh, thing i can't well in in java it's called generics, generics. In c++ it's called a template okay and does javascript actually have generics or is that a typescript thing no it's it's a typed language thing so why <laughs> what do you get out of these generics i do you get p so as an th- object for properties and s no. as an object for state no uh think of it like you have a list class that you're defining okay and instead of creating a list int list String lint uh, list blah blah blah. You just have list uh, generics t, and then it just uh, it says that I have this uh, type that I uh, at a later point need to care what type it is, and I can have a list that does its operations independent of this, and it might call methods of t, but as long as t has that uh, method defined, there will be no error. Gotcha. So it's, uh, it's it's another form of abstraction, which is why it makes sense. It's called generics. Uh, Let's see. Or templates. All right, we're, right, templates in C++, but in generics in Java. Uh, convert functional components with prop types to property to, jo- to TypeScript and uses prop types to generate function type declaration. It, this really, I don't know the utility in this, but it just seems cool. Um, so <laughs> I thought I'd mention it. Uh, let's see, moving on. Here's a guide to building secure PHP software in 2018, and Christian will just say don't, so we don't have to read it. Uh, let's see. Oh, I was going to say just... RM RF yeah. is you've got to give here. us more time to rip on it than that. Yeah, I mean, go <laughs> here, go for it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now it's not fun. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, my sucks. favorite though. <laughs> my favorite one though is avoiding um, like a, a code injection. It's like, well, don't call eval, and then I'm like, well, even Magento calls eval. Oh. So good luck with that. Oh, 
Yeah. Well, Magento is is gross. I mean, don't it yeah, is. don't use it. I mean, I know a lot of people do use it. It's a very popular enterprise shopping cart system. But as someone who has worked on it, don't, don't, and just <laughs> and that's how websites get hacked. Yes. Um. Yeah. Anyway, I still like PHP, but honestly, I'm not writing it that much these days because of the way that the world has changed this decade. I'm much. I'm writing much mm. less of it in 2018 than I was in 2012. Anyway, mm. have you um, written any in 2018? Yes, because I have uh, I have uh, freelance clients who are still on PHP. Uh, let's see, Pantone, uh, which is the color standards body, have released a new color for 2018. That's right. It is. I need the. Where's the? That's not the right sound effect. I am off today. You know what, Tyler? You're right. It is. It is the Xanax. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's a, that's a short-term fix. Um, Pantone's new color for 2018 is called Ultraviolet. That's right. An innovative, inventive, and imaginative Ultraviolet lights the way to what is yet to come. It's so cool you can't even see it. Exactly. It looks like most other purples you've seen, but this is quite a unique purple because it's Ultraviolet. Let's be honest. This is Barney purple. No, it's not. Barney it's purple had more red. This is very purple. I have flux on, so it's not going to help. Oh, oh! Don't even, don't even look at colors. It's why, so why, nice why, why, why even uh, use a computer? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that in the future, you the uh, Mac OS will not will have a. Oh, they do have a flux, I think, in High Sierra, and you just and they probably won't let you turn it off. Anyway, uh, let's see. There's uh, someone made Microsoft Paint in, J- in JavaScript, and it works. It works exactly like MS Paint. It jspaint.ml completely free the biggest difference between this and ms paint is that it uses uh Arial for the typeface instead of ms sans serif which should be the proper typeface to use for ms paint but that's about it also it doesn't let you resize existing circles i don't think uh, ms paint didn't let you do that this one did you might be thinking of paint for windows 7 pa- paint for windows 7 has layers and has like vector objects and stuff. This is just a raster paint program. This was basically a ripoff of Mac Paint uh, back in it the It does get slower as you create new objects. Well, that's JavaScript. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, moving on, uh, I know most people love Whole Foods. Did you know that Whole Foods has a massive inventory problem because of their machine learning-based uh, inventory system uh, called OTS, Order to Shelf? It is a tightly controlled system designed to streamline and track product purchases, display, storage, and sales. Under OTS, employees largely bypass stock rooms and carry products directly from delivery trucks to store shelves. It is meant to help Whole Foods cut costs, better manage inventory, reduce waste, and clear out storage. But what happened? A lot of the shelves are now empty because they don't have any back storage. Huh. Super interesting. I mean, it, here, it even hit the, the new one in Brooklyn. It says, we, we, last week, we ran out of onions and potatoes twice. These are staple produce foods. Yeah, Entire yeah, yeah. aisles are empty at times. If the Brooklyn Whole Foods is out of food, that's a big, me- that's a big mistake. And yeah, this Williamsburg or the Gowanus. I'm sorry? Williamsburg or the Gowanus. It just said Brooklyn. Hmm. I, I want to say that the people in Williamsburg would probably complain more, and it would be <laughs> a higher-profile issue. So I'm going to say it's Williamsburg. And I actually oh. went to the Gowanus Whole Foods last night. It was fine. Oh, we were right in that area, and you didn't hang out with us. I told you. I was busy. We were in the area. I, had, I, had, I went to a birthday party that I asked if I could invite you guys, and they said no. What do you want me to do? 
you were in the area, you could have spoken by. How did I know you guys were going to be? In, we're in Gowanus. You want me to text you? <laughs> hey, I'm in Gowanus. Where are you guys? You swimming in the canal? As your skin melts <laughs> off of you? Like, well, actually, we were building a computer, which was pretty. Why dope, don't you? Okay, so. you want, why don't we talk about that? That actually Wait, sounds pretty. Yeah. Cool. Hold on, we'll continue that. It's part of the plus ones of the week, and oh, all and right, all right, about, all right. The, about the Whole Foods thing. As someone who's worked at a grocery store, I got to say that this is a really small hiccup. I mean, missing like even an aisle of grocery stores being empty. It's like you can go get stuff from your deli for the one or two items you're missing. No, Tyler, they're out of food. And and I, it's not just one Whole Foods. It's many Whole that. Foods are running I out of food. I get that. And I'm sure like it'll correct itself and they'll correct it within a couple of weeks. But like uh, just the man hours that it saves from not having to write orders for sections was is incredible. Like just that's something that, t- that takes people hours and hours every single time. Super complex. Interesting. So if a machine can do that just by what people buy, then then that's a super small hiccup because they're saving so many hundreds of thousands of dollars in employee hours. Well, yes, but then they're going to be losing millions of dollars in business when people stop going to Whole Foods because they have no food. It's not that bad. You said one it, aisle is missing they, food. I said no. People I, 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 I was it was a quote from someone who was interviewed at a Whole Foods that was out of stock. Here, the deli had in this. Look at the article from Business Insider. The deli has no meat. Yeah, that'll be okay. Uh, OTS shifted some power from local buyers to Whole Foods corporate headquarters in Austin, which actually looks exactly like every other Whole Foods, unfortunately. Um, before OTS, and this happened before Amazon, so don't blame uh, Jeff Bezos for this. Before OTS, buyers were more in control of what to bring in and how much to bring in. Uh, now everything is mandated at the global level, as in from Austin. And while each store is different due to location and logistics, buyers must comply with the new system. This creates out-of-stocks, frustrations, and stress on all levels. Not only does it do that, it creates a militarized... And this is this was the word that they used. Uh, employees acknowledge that less food is spoil, spoiling in storage rooms, which is good. However, they describe OTS as a militaristic system that crushes morale and leads many items being out of stock. Out of 400 boxes in your cooler, if you have one of those boxes facing the wrong way, you're penalized. You're so concerned about passing this military-like test that you actually start to lose your department's operational conditions. Huh. That's weird that it... Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So, I, like I mean, look, it's a good, it's a good idea. A I'm not going to... I'm not... I will totally agree. It's a great idea. But, however... If all of the pur- if all of the purchasing is being made in one spot, doesn't that go against the whole everything is locally sourced mantra that they have? I don't think anyone believes that mantra. <laughs> I, I do. Well, it's all farm to table, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, blah blah just, blah. Things in between. It's, it's farm to the table in Austin, and then they ship it to Brooklyn. Yeah, they put a local package on it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just like I, I anyway. Too much. Locally is in like within the same country. We're Speaking good. of locally, Tyler, it's time for our New York Minute, where we take a look at your five boroughs. And this just in: three men were shot outside the Empire State Building. Thanks. Tonight. Wow. Police say three men have been shot and wounded in Midtown Manhattan. Well, Midtown's been a war zone for the last, like, three years. Well, just, I mean, most New Yorkers know, don't go to Midtown. But the shooting was reported at 4.40 p.m. on Sunday on West 31st Street, a few blocks from Macy's and Penn Station and my favorite pizza place. Police say the victims were taken to Bellevue Hospital. Their wounds were not considered life-threatening and no arrests have been made. Oh, that, that's settling. <laughs> yeah, they haven't caught the guy. It just happened. <laughs> It's uh three three hours ago. Sounds like a gang shooting. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see. Moving on, we've got a new president of the MTA. That's right. Someone else to take the crap that we love dishing at the subway. Andy Byford, a British person who then became the uh, chairman of the Toronto Transit Authority, is now the head of the MTA. British conspiracy, I call it. Yes, well, he has a good mission statement. He said he will give, give equal focus to four key pillars of his job. Subway, bus, paratransit. I, don't, I guess is that helicopters? Yep. Jetpacks? You get jetpacks? <laughs> I'd love to take a jetpack across the East River. Anyway, um, an employee morale. During a brief interview with reporters that touched on the agency's ancient subway infrastructure, funding and cost reforms, 24-hour train service, and the politics at play as the subway delays soar and bus riderships plummet. Quote, and I'm not going to do an accent, I've, not, I've certainly not come here to hold the floor to maintain the status quo. My job is to drive up the level of service and thereby customer satisfaction for all New Yorkers. He said that before ending 24-hour train service. This is actually a real thing. Because it's not that he necessarily wants to end 24-hour train service, which would really put a nice big damper on the New York being a 24-7 city. Which he says, I do appreciate that this is a 24-7 city. New Yorkers rightfully hold the 24-hour subway dear to their hearts. But equally, they expect me to provide more reliable service. If we're going to do that, there is no gain without some pain. Well, doesn't he just mean temporarily shutting down nighttime services for certain lines? Which is what the MTA already does. Yeah, so there's nothing big about that. Maybe it just means they're going to do way more. Yeah, and in fact, winter is coming. It's important. And the MTA are going to shut down the L for 24 hours a day coming up soon, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Well, so I was walking by the M train recently, too. Well, where would be the M train? Where? And I'm looking at it, and it's like they don't even have tracks on the thing right now. Uh, this is not going to be an open time for when they're no, well, the thing is, is that no. they need the people to work, go, move from that project to the Canarsie Tunnel. So, I'm going to—I would bet that they're not going to start that project until the M is done. Oh well, it's either that, or they're going to leave the M unfinished, which I really would not. No. And by the no, way, I, I did notice that. that there's an interesting flaw in the design of the tracks at Myrtle Avenue on the on the J on the JZ M Jism mm-hmm. and. Uh, if you you can't make a left, you know how the M kind of curves up and then goes into Bushwick and it has like Central Ave and Knickerbocker Avenue and it goes up to Middle Village in Queens? Yeah. You yep. can't make that left while a train is coming the opposite direction. You actually have to cross the other track, which creates a traffic congestion issue. Huh. It ain't that bad, I don't think. It's not that bad. No, been... actually, now that, I rem- now that I remember back when the M was running, that's true. Actually. It's, uh, yeah, yeah they... and I finally figured that out by riding at the very front of the J- of a J train, of an old J train, where you could actually really just see out the front. It's so cool. And, uh... Well, is there such a thing as like a modern J train? <laughs> yes, I think they there all is. Are, are... The ones that are I from the that. century that say, this is a J I take the J to and from. I take the J to and from work right now, and they're all like the trains from the 70s with the like uh, riveted... Oh, uh... those are from the 60s, actually. Oh, even better. Yeah. They look like they were built from parts from Home Depot. They they look like somebody took like a, an old tool shed, not even like a new tool shed, right? And just like bought like a, a thousand of them and kind of just nailed them together. Absolutely, yeah. But um, anyway, uh, by the way, Andy uh, Andy Byford does sound like a British name, doesn't it? Uh, he took he's mm. never owned a car. He took the four train down to MTA headquarters without delays. But as soon as he got to work, of course. Then the delay started. Anyway, let's see. One one last thing uh, to really point out is that uh, Mr. Cuomo, 
is con- is uh, considering congestion pricing for Manhattan. Under the proposal, trucks entering the busiest part of Manhattan, which I read I think was under 60th Street, would pay $25.34. And taxis and four hire vehicles could see surcharges of 2 to $5 per ride. The pricing zone would cover Manhattan south of 60th Street, like I said. Under the plan, the drivers won't get charged twice if they had already paid a toll, and that toll would be deducted from the $11.52 surcharge. So if See, that'd be a good idea if it wasn't for the fact that it just makes the people who actually need these things to pay for it. Right, and a lot of the people who are driving in Manhattan, let's say, take cars into the city from New Jersey, where they already have to pay a toll to get into the city, so then it p- pretty much doubles their daily commute cost. That but, sounds ridiculous. Well, I mean, other, other major cities have congestion pricing. London definitely does. I think Paris does, or they just don't allow cars in the city center for a while. Um, it's not unheard of, but it just is an yet another thing to increase the cost in the second most expensive city in the country. Yeah. No, San Francisco, I think, beats us, but we it's not worth living in San Francisco. They beat us on housing. They don't beat us on Okay, well, then it's the most expensive city. It doesn't matter. San Francisco is not worth living in, even if it's the same price as New York. Yeah, no. Unless you're in a tech company. No! Just do it here. Anyway, uh, oh yeah, sorry, one last thing. It looks like the mob threw a car in Newtown Creek. Yeah, uh, between that's the, that's the creek that separates that's the creek that separates Brooklyn and Queens, Greenpoint and Long Island City. Uh, police and firefighters found a Mercedes Benz partially submerged in a new town creek in Greenpoint around 6:30 on January 19th. No one was in the car. No rescues were made. Wow. Uh huh. I'm sure no one's in the trunk. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, sorry, I forgot this one last story. There's someone from the Jersey Shore who's now in ISIS. Okay, moving on. Uh, <laughs> Wait, wanna... <laughs> I'm gonna have to read that on my own time. <laughs> I mean, we can we can talk about it if you want. I think everyone. No, can it's, it out it's, it's not it's not worth talking about. But I definitely have to see okay. this eventually. Google yeah. it if you're interested, Christian. <laughs> That's right, because uh, <laughs> because after <laughs> our because it's Sunday night, guys. That means it's time for our GitHub issues of the week. Our first GitHub issue of the week comes to us from OS Query, something made by Facebook. Docker container processes not showing anything. What's this about, Christian? Well, so OS Query is this uh, uh, tool that Facebook built that allows you to query your operating system like it's a database. So you can be like, how many processes do I have running? Um, uh, Where do I have a configuration file for this thing? And things like that. Is that kind of like an Ansible uh, script? Uh, it's solving a similar problem, but in a different okay. way. Okay, that's what that's what. Yeah, it sounds like it does something similar, but I, I'm sure the the implementation is different. Well, think of it as like a database instead of like a script. script. Right, but it does kind of the same thing. No, okay, never mind. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, so the issue is that uh, the user is not seeing any Docker containers running, and it seems like they don't have permission to talk on the Docker socket. So they should either run as a privileged user or that owns the socket or just run as eat root for OS query. You know, I think I should add some kind of um, um, linting to your English text that you type into the show outline, <laughs> and then it won't let you submit anything unless it's spelled properly. <laughs> you, you have the, we have the same problem in code, right? If you, mess, if you mistype something one character off, it's not going to say no. So I should do the same thing yeah, in the show Yeah, but outline. I can write code. I just you, can't, you write, can't English. write English. And it's, you're not alone. <laughs> like I said, there's an inverse relationship between, between the skill of an engineer and their language ability, English language ability. It's crazy. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, someone's running OS query, not seeing any Docker containers. What's the... What's the issue? What goes, what's next? They're running as an incorrect user. Oh, permissions, uh, it right. Seems. Yeah, so they got to run as like a privileged owner who owns the uh, the socket. 
So anybody in the Docker group, or they could just run as root. Cool. Uh, anything else? I think that's it. Cool. Well, then moving on to our next GitHub issue of the week. Our second GitHub issue of the week comes to us from C-Star. Say a star, C star. Memory, alloc- C star. Uh, memory allocation fault injector exceptions not caught in no accept functions. I don't know what that is. Well, so uh, C star is this application framework for C plus uh, plus. In this uh, uh, area where it's like I want to allocate a cache. If the memory allocation fails, you can actually inject what kind of like fault you want to have. Okay. And then it'll throw out an exception. And that exception is not being caught, though. So it's just bubbling up and causing a seg fault. Gotcha. And so the issue is actually just needs to be a try-catch somewhere within that cache code. And then the error will be handled. This seems like something that really shouldn't be a GitHub issue, then. This seems like a normal behavior. No, this is... Uh, it, it's within this framework itself. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, anything else? Uh, nope. Cool. All right. Our next GitHub issue of the week comes to us from Caddy. Duplicate site not caught by a flag validate command line per uh, uh, flag validate command. Um, what is Caddy? So Caddy is a web server like Nginx or Apache that automates getting Let's Encrypt certificates. Ooh, I could use that. Yeah, it's pretty nice actually. And uh, there is a plugin for, for using NS1 DNS, by the way. Ah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but. Uh, uh, so the problem is that you call the, the validate function, which is supposed to validate your config, and it's not catching duplicate sites. So that's like uh, example.com, and then you have www.example.com. Right. It should be the same site. Uh, but they're not being caught like that, so uh, they just need to patch the parser itself to be like, hey, there's I already had like uh, read from, like particularly with domain names, it's best to actually read from the end and uh, work your way back. Sure. So, is there a fix? Well, they need to patch. Ah, gotcha. All right. Uh, Moving on to our last GitHub issue of the week. Our last GitHub issue. Ah, our last GitHub issue of the week comes to us from Include OS Virtual Memory System Interfaces. And what's the issue? Well, so the issue is that, uh, inc- so include OS is a unikernel, so that means like it's just the parts of a kernel that you need to run your code. And uh, the way include OS works is you include it as a C++ library, either in uh, a compiled binary, or you can even run a, a node application using this thing. And uh, the issue, though, is like uh, it doesn't have uh, virtual memory interfaces, so that means like you can't mmap stuff, you can't unmap stuff, uh, it doesn't protect against zero pages, and uh, basically all memory could be executable. Ooh, yeah. Um, so then you just have to put in those memory protections into include OS features and protections. Features and protections. That's gonna is that gonna that's gonna impact the performance a lot, isn't it? Uh, no, it's gonna uh, help. These are uh, aren't like uh, you know, this is no meltdown respector thing. These are uh, solve things from the 80s. Gotcha. Are they? Are do they also need to introduce something like uh, address-based layout randomization? Or I believe they already have the address-based uh, randomization. That that's been a thing in kernels for a while. They might not have the page table isolation. Although that's a this is a weird situation. You're using a unit kernel, so your application is part of the kernel. Or, sorry, the kernel is part of your application. Hmm. So in that situation, 
Is there such a thing as page table isolation? I don't think so, actually. It wouldn't really even be needed, I guess. Maybe. Maybe? Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Like, is your entire application the kernel and user space, or do you or do you have that separation? I don't know, actually. I mean, you wouldn't want the application running not in user land, so you'd have to think that there is a user space. Well, you might, actually, because the whole reason the user you're in a kernel is you just want, like, a networking stack, or you just want a scheduler. Huh. Okay. Um, so what do we do with this? I guess they just have to add those features and then update. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, after our GitHub issues, of course, it's time for Tyler's Plus Ones. Our pull request Plus Ones are where we send out well wishes and acknowledgments of awesomeness to people and other organizations. Who's our first Plus One this week, Tyler? Our first Plus One goes to Audio Fusion. Audio Fusion. Audio Fusion this week announced uh, an incredible new virtual studio, basically a virtual reality music studio. So uh, it's Ooh, it's, yeah, it's all about training new people, training aspiring uh, technicians, engineers, and musicians to learn what it's like to actually work one of those giant things. So rather than having a, 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 a digital audio workstation, a DAW, that's just a screen that looks that's a computer representation of a recording studio, why not put on a VR headset that makes it look like you're actually using an analog mixer? Oh, yeah. The, the <laughs> full thing, racks and stacks of all these other effects. and uh, oh, oh, yeah. It's this is like really um, reason to the next level. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's pretty cool. All right, what's next? Uh, next is Stack Overflow. Stack Overflow. Yeah, Stack Overflow. Uh, I have no idea if this was published this week, but uh, at least on, on the subreddit, reddit slash r slash programming, uh, this week popped up. Uh, a really big link of PDFs that Stack Overflow has that are just on about every subject you could want. Cool. There's like, yeah. Did, C++, you, is there one that you Android, like? What? Is there one that you like? Uh, I saw the Bash one. I'm a big fan. Cool. I think we could all use some more Bash uh, learning. Yeah, check that out at httpbooks.goldkicker.com. Cool. And then your and then your next nice. plus one is. Micro Center in Brooklyn and Christian. Okay. <laughs> What'd you do with Micro Center in Brooklyn and Christian? Uh, I built a computer this week. Uh, this weekend, yeah? actually, just yesterday. Yeah. How much was it? Uh, total, everything was like 900 bucks. Great. What's the yep. CPU? CPU is, it's uh, i5, but it's unlocked. i5, okay. Is it Meltdown ready? Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, I think you got, uh, it was like the... 50, no, uh, yeah, 57, or, no, 87, 58, uh, 5800K. How much more was the i7? Uh, he was looking at, like, maybe, like, like, uh, I think it was, like, a hundred more for the i7. Okay, so you either get the i7 or the unlocked i5, basically, for that price. Well, I think the i7 was only unlocked. Oh. Okay. Well, so you have an unlocked CPU, which allows you to do what, overclock it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, as well as, like, some virtualization. Sorry, I'm funny. No, I want you to do it. Actually, special thanks to Christian for sure. Uh, he, he basically did the whole process. Uh, uh, I, I said the yes and no's on the price, and then Christian uh, depicted the rest of it. So feel free to, to make a breakdown of all the gear. So, wait, all right, let's do that. Uh, what... So... What what do you what do you mean it un, with an unlocked CPU it unlocks some virtualization capabilities? That that seems ridiculous that they would lock that up. Well, there are some low level things that you can do with an unlocked CPU that you can't with a locked CPU. Like what? 
because a lot of CPUs are designed to be like those real end user consumers. You're not going to be able to run like uh, KVM or some like low uh, low sorry low level hypervisor. Huh. Which it's which is nice for development and also you don't have to buy like VMware that. Gotcha. Uh, how much RAM did also, you get? I think I also think the version of Windows requires an online processor. No, that's not true. He's got, he's got the enterprise version. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Um. But, <laughs> and then uh, uh, 16 gigs of RAM. That's it? Not 32? Nah. Uh, Tyler only won 16. But it's clocked at 2400 uh, megahertz, so that's pretty good. Okay. RAM's uh, so pricey these days. What's that was the... 180 bucks. What? That was 180 bucks. That's Getting really 32 good, gigs Tyler. of RAM was going to be like $300. Ah, um, yeah, I, I, I'm using it for computer recording and uh, for music recording. And the, honestly, all the projects that I've had uh, have, have, you know, been able to run on a computer with six gigs of RAM, albeit slowly. Yeah, and you can always get more later too. It's not like it's a laptop or anything. Exactly. Um, yeah. Okay, that's really cool. What's the hard drive? So that was something I actually gave him. It was an old uh, Samsung 480 uh, Evo. Is that like what I have? Uh, I think you have the 580. Okay. Just that, that it's just newer. Right, right, it's the same thing. Uh, yours yours is basically there. Well, that's cool. That drive is really fast. So, all right. Well, that's been our plus one. Yeah. Well, that's cool, Tyler. I'm happy that uh, you have a you have a nice nice powerful computer. Thank you. Are you gonna turn time. it into a Hackintosh like I did? <laughs> no, but we can talk about what to do with that Hackintosh next. Yes, 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 definitely. Um, all right. Well, cough, speaking of- when I get the music studio, cough, they might not charge me for power. Cough. Ah, mining rig cough. cough. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're, how, how pricey were the GPUs at Micro Center? Um, it's a bad time to buy GPUs. <laughs> I can't believe that. I mean, I'm sorry, I can't I totally believe desk- that, but it's just so weird, just like, you know, growing up with the, with yeah. how they've have it accelerated and now... It's supposed to go well, cheaper. Minor. Even like, uh, so back in 20... It was either 2015 or early 2016. No, it was definitely, like, definitely 2016. Uh, I bought, uh, my old GPU burnt out, so I had to buy uh, a new one. And I was looking and I was like, I can get uh, two of a lower end one that could just run in Crossfire for AMD, uh, the RX four eighty. Okay. I was able to get them for like one hundred twenty a pop, versus like the same performance I'd have to pay like five hundred for on a single GPU. Ah. And now I look at it and it's like one RX four eighty is five hundred. But aren't these companies making more video cards that are more powerful, and then they would lower the price of the other ones? I guess it's just the, the demand, so they don't even have demand to lower the price, so, so they can just keep that, it with whatever, like, uh, whatever they want. When yeah, when Asus is building a mining motherboard that allows you to use 32 GPUs. Really? When do we get that? Yeah. Mining. Because <laughs> it's not. It's rare to find in an wow. awesome fortune. B250 mining expert. Ooh. Why not just chain computers together at that point? <laughs> uh, because this is uh, it's talk about power. Um, How are you going to cool that off though? Like those are going to heat each other up. Mm-hmm. Oh, because you build a custom enclosure, and by enclosure, you use them. You build the computer into the room. Maximize you just your mining you just put connectivity. Put in a Russian ice bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that that just be fun. <laughs> this is actually oh, kind of this no, is, the, this is mean, actually maybe, yeah. this is like more intense than, than than a server, really. I mean, check this out. Yep. 
maximize your mining connectivity and speed with 19 times PCI Express slots. Up to 32 gigabyte DDR4 2400 RAM, USB 3.1 Gen 1, and Intel Gigabit LAN. Triple ATX 12 volt power supply separates the 19x PCIe slots into three groups, each with a dedicated 24 pin for reliable power performance. 5x protection, three generation three hardware level safeguards with safe slot core, land guard, and over voltage protection provide component longevity and reliability. PCIe slot date detection provides a real time indication of the status of each GPU in your rig. Voltage stabilization capacitors provide steady voltage from your power supply units to your GPUs. Imagine all the porn you could watch with that. You can make a wall of porn. Yeah. 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 It'd be like and, the Matrix, uh, but all porn. Well, I, I guess that comes down to which GPU you're using, though, because I've also seen mining GPUs now. Do they all have which, to be the same when you do them? Like when you, if you uh, put them all on the board like this? I think you can only have like uh, it has to be the same to be hashing at the same uh, uh, thing. The same what? So if, I'm like, sorry. You want to. If you want to distribute a hash function across GPUs, it's going to have to be the same GPU. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. All right. You can have, like, one mi- a totally different one mine Bitcoin versus Monero or something. Hey. There you go. That's what we need to do. We need to have a multiple altcoin mining rig. Well, we'll get back to that in a second, because right now it's time for our... Apple attack! That's right. We take some time every week to take a nice little poop on Apple. This week's Apple attack, there's a new text bomb affecting Apple's iPhone and Macintosh computers. Avram Masri, a software developer, tweeted about the flaw, which typically causes an iPhone to crash and in some cases restart, using a specially malformed text message. Apple has been plagued with a lot of text issues lately, and this is just yet another one. So I'm just going to text you something real quick, Eric. No. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. Please. Anyway, I don't need anything else slowing down this phone. It's already a piece of garbage. Anyway, uh, let's see. Here's something good from Apple. Um, something that people thought would never happen. Apple, and this is not really an attack, but Apple unveiled plans on Wednesday that would bring back its vast majority of the $252 billion in cash it held abroad and said it would make a sizable investment in the United States because America first. With the moves, Apple took advantage of the new tax code that Lord Dampnut signed into law last month. A provision allows for a one-time repatriation of, co- of corporate cal- cash held abroad at a lower tax rate than what that would have been paid under the previous tax plan. Apple, which has 94% of its total cash of its $269 billion outside of the U.S., said it can make a one-time tax payment of $38 billion on the repatriated cash. So, Apple's going to reinvest... Apple's going to invest $260 billion into America. No. So. No. They're investing $38 billion into America. And then oh. they said that they're going to create 20,000 new jobs, a new domestic campus, and other spending. Yeah, right. Oh. oh, like Amazon did. Exactly. You know, it's interesting because a lot of people said it wouldn't happen, but here it is. These big companies are actually bringing the money that has be- they, 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 they were not lying. They said that it was too expensive to repatriate repatriate the cash back into America because of the tax because of the tax code, and they changed the tax plan, and it looks like uh, that's what these companies are doing. I never and thought it's this would happen. Yeah, we're number one. Exactly. And it's cheaper now. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. America first, and that's been our Apple attack. Yeah, it was actually a good story for once. For Apple. 
Yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah. You don't say. That's right. I don't say. I wonder um, where they're gonna put their, you know, their stuff though. What do you mean? Oh, well, I mean, New York and San Francisco are so expensive. I feel like they might try to save a buck and go somewhere else, oh, and then because H- HQ two uh, Austin. Yeah. yeah. Well, Austin. So if, uh, Amazon's. They already been have doing a, a uh, repair thing. Uh, thing. So Amazon's been doing like this whole like, oh, who who wants us more for HQ two? Right. For between who? Wait, New York, New Jersey, contenders? somewhere else. Uh, most major cities, but uh, so uh, one thing is SNL did have a great skit on this whole thing. Ooh. But, uh, uh, it was basically like uh, they're looking at like uh, they were considering New York, Atlanta, uh, Newark. The port uh, of Newark is the most traffic port in the country. That would be really <laughs> cheap, and it would really turn around Newark. <laughs> I, I don't know. But maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And then actually, um, no. I think I'm sorry. Amazon, Boston? wrong country, wrong company, wrong country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Newark is in a different country. Newark is a different country. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. I actually have to restart the recording because Logic's doing that thing where it delays, and it's uh, not allowing me to hear my own thoughts. I mean, it is, but just yeah. like a second afterwards, which is really gonna hurt the. So. I'm gonna let's. Uh, I, I use the cheapest, most rinky-dink recording software, and I don't have this issue. Yeah, I know. This is, this is you know, we just did. Well, you know what? Why don't I just put the uh, music back on because this is just ridiculous. No, uh, let's let's say hi to Blanche for a second. I'm gonna restart Logic, and then we'll be just take a quick break. Thank you for being a friend. All right. <laughs> GarageBand doesn't even do this. Logic does this. I, I don't... I think it's just a hiccup with my Hackintosh. Uh, let's take a look at something we haven't done for a little while, because it's time for... Theresa May Mana's the Internet! Actually, what, what happened was, the UK Conservative Party forgot to renew... Which, they are anti-encryption. They forgot to renew their secure certificate on their website. <laughs> yeah, they're, so. they're, they're rebelling. Exactly, exactly. We won't do uh, it. The U- yeah. Um, in the most ap- appropriate possible metaphor for the party's failure to grasp 21st century campaigning, the conservative website is down, apparently because they failed to upgrade to HTTPS. That's the other thing, is that they haven't upgraded to SSL. <laughs> they don't like encryption, so why do it? We don't need it. Well, looks like they do. I mean, come on, even my blog that I haven't updated in forever has it. Huh, it's been two well, weeks, and my landlord still hasn't fixed theirs either. Oh, oh did, well, no, you, did you hit them did with you the... not paying rent? Well, I, I don't have to pay them rent this month because it's my last month. Um, nice. But, oh, good. But they're telling people to just go and go to the HTTP version and drop the S. Tyler, you know how requests work on the, the internet, right? Go to the portal. <laughs> go to the payment portal on there. Right. You know how, you know how requests work. When you when you send a post request, it has everything right there, including your password and credit card number. Yeah. So yeah, don't do it. Um, don't do it. Don't don't do it. All right. Well. Uh, oh, you know what? I actually didn't even open this as a tab. Uh, I totally forgot. We should do a. Uh... It's time for our cryptocurrency connection. Goldman Sachs, repo- uh, 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 Goldman Sachs reportedly explores use of Bitcoin as a currency. The report was that first uh, was the firm's first exploration of Bitcoin's possible use as a real currency, and was written by, primarily by analysts 
Zach Pandel and Charles Himmelberg for clients of the company. In the report, analysts detailed how Bitcoin could prove to be useful in countries like Zimbabwe and the Democratic Republic of Congo, where foreign, country, foreign currency is used almost exclusively for deposits and loans following public mistrust in the company's economy. Huh. This is, uh, it's interesting because I guess that means that Bitcoin is actually more secure than their country's fiat currency. Um, I mean, Venezuela, I believe, is doing something similar with the Petro. They're creating cryptocurrency. We mentioned that previously. Um, but because of their massive inflation, I don't really expect the Petro to do too well. It's funny to see the flaws in, in fiat currency, like uh, how in India they were trying to get rid of the bigger bills because they almost always were linked with drug activity. Uh, Tyler, that's a global effort. I know that, but like they really cracked down in India. And, like, no, I'm telling you, like, they, no, this, this is happening in the EU. This is happening in Australia. It's going to happen here. It's a global war on cash. And no more we actually sticks? talked about What's this months ago. What's my grandma going to give me? What? <laughs> I said, no more hundy sticks? What's my grandma going to give me? You don't get $18 checks from your grandma? I'm kidding. My grandma doesn't give me hundy sticks. I was going to say, that's pretty generous. So, yeah, I was going to say, you, I, I get the $18 I used to. Some people's she, parents anyway. and grandparents give them hundy sticks. <laughs> well, that's nice. All right, that's really all that I've got about cryptocurrency other than the fact that... Uh, remember how I said I have a lot of anxiety? Let's let's take a break from cryptocurrency for a while because, oh my <laughs> God, when I look at my coin, Coinbase profile, it is just... Eric I bought like, at the all-time high. I didn't buy it at the all-time high. I did. I did watch it creep up a little bit, but uh, it's just I don't. I don't even. Know. I don't even know. Like I you said, trying to limit patient. the anxiety. Which, sorry, you gotta be patient. Give it a few weeks. Give this it a is few not months. a holding. This is not a holding thing. This is a bubble, and the bubble's gonna burst. It's I don't think Bitcoin can thing. really sustain a five-figure price. But it's that's a me. holding thing. Yeah. Well, um, uh, that's all right. That's about it for cryptocurrency. Um, we're not going to do a newsreel this week because the whole show is news. Sweet. And, yeah. I mean, I could, I could still yell on top of the old BBC music. Because when you yell like this, it sounds more official. But, you know, we don't have to. Um, why don't we take a quick break? Because speaking of forgetting to renew SSL certificates, I forgot to renew the SSL certificate on this site. Where is it? <laughs> San Fran's, do you live in New York City? Well, if you do, Pneumodium has a beautiful new product for you. It's called Where Am I? Your five-borough compass navigator to help you get anywhere from Staten Island to the Bronx. Simply go to www.whereamitonyc on your mobile device and enable location services to find the nearest neighborhood borough and three closest subway stops to you wherever you are. No ads, no tracking, just geospatial brilliance that's Where Am I? Brought to you by Pneumonium. Pneumonium, reinventing media daily. Yeah. I needed to do that. It sent, Let's Encrypt sends me an email. And then I'm like, oh, it's in a week. I'll do it then. And then I forget. And now it's, now the site's too bar. Yeah. Great. Okay. So, uh, as a Newsday episode, we've got a few stories to talk about. Uh, last week, we talked about James Damore, the guy that wrote the Google memo, and, ha- and how he had more to say, and his career is over. He, um, excuse me, has a friend. There's another plaintiff in the uh, lawsuit that he's posing against Google. Um, wow. Acid reflux is a bitch. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. Uh, what's the guy's name? I It doesn't even say his name. Oh, David, uh, David Guterman. There we go. Uh, This is called Why I'm Suing Google. This is a blog post. He says, I'm the other plaintiff on the famous... What are you typing, Christian? 
Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm really trying to be quiet. What are, you, what are you writing an essay? What is this? Are you coding on the show? Maybe. Maybe. I have a deadline. What? <laughs> you have a deadline? Okay. Can we? Can can you can you move the microphone away from the keyboard? Because that's far just, as it gets. <laughs> you, you should get like a, a membrane keyboard if you have to type on the show, just for these the hour that we All do right, these well, shows. All right, I'm done with my typing. Cool. Okay. Is this your Good Morning Vietnam? Sorta. Of. Sorta. Of. Okay. Uh, anyway, God, he was doing a lot of coke in the movie. Um, <laughs> I'm the other plaintiff. That's true. Uh, I'm the other plaintiff on the famous Demore lawsuit against Google. Since there was some curiosity about the case, I thought I'd write this note to give people information about me and my reasons for going forward with the lawsuit. First, yeah. First, I don't hate Google, and I certainly don't hate people who work there. The large bulk of Googlers are wonderful people, smart, kind, and wanting to do the right thing. I wouldn't want to give this suit... I wouldn't, I wouldn't want this suit to give people a bad idea of Googlers. But honestly, they, they brought this on themselves for tolerating the hatred, racism, and misandry of a small but vocal organized subgroup who want to use Google as a vehicle of social change rather than a vehicle of delivering excellent service and products to their customers. I was disappointed at the lack of support I, re I received from the good people at Google when I, when I came under attack. In fact, I was attacked largely for coming to the defense of others. I'd hoped my example would set a precedent and the others would join me in standing up for kindness, tolerance, and just getting along despite differences, but no. Although I am disappointed, I do understand that pe why people stood silent while their colleague was treated unfairly. Everyone is afraid of the hate group that dominates the discussion at Google. No one wants to jeopardize their job or career prospects to defend someone they don't know, but it looks like this guy's doing it anyway. I understand, and that's why we need lawsuits like this, to make the consequences of getting along with the illegal behavior of the hate groups that worse than the consequences of challenging them. Courage from better incentives. I believe a lot of Googlers and others in Silicon Valley will secretly welcome this lawsuit as a vehicle for giving them the support they need to speak out and when they see something wrong. At least, this is my hope. So he was being intolerant, and then he got mad at people for being intolerant of his intolerance. Of his intolerance. And now he's and now he's suing Google. I guess. He, well, it's that he was. It's that he, I don't think this guy David Guterman was being intolerant. I don't know what his example was, but he's just standing up for his friend James Damore, and then people are yelling at him because he's probably not another white guy. What can I say? Um, it's sad. Uh, you know, but a lot of people will say misandry doesn't exist, even though uh, it is a thing, and it is typically encouraged by some people. But we're not going to get into that because there was a women's march yesterday. And we don't want to stir the pot too much. And we're not going to get into that period. Yeah, we're not touching Christian, that. Christian had his period yesterday. Did you go to the women's march? No, I'm not touching that. You can't okay. put those two together like that. I mean, I appreciate your effort, but... <laughs> I tried, I tried, I tried. Oh, speaking of misgendering, uh, I was misgendered by a Google al algorithm. Uh, you, know that Google, you know that Google arts and culture Did thing, you take a, a selfie? No, ah, there you go. <laughs> Great job, Tyler. <laughs> I, I, I get I get uh, Elvis. You get uh, who uh, the girl at the urine. I got the uh, Spanish Joan of Arc. <laughs> Ellen DeGeneres. Nice. Yes, Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> she's the Spanish Joan of Arc. I, I can see it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The Google Google Arts and Culture app has a has a feature where you can upload a selfie and it'll match you with a, some kind of Renaissance painting or some some antiquity. No, I guess antiquity is older. Some some old painting from the last millennium. And I got the Spanish Joan of Arc, who is this nice skinny woman with short hair. And I guess that's you know whatever. I previously identified from that uh, that woman with the the blonde hair woman with the hair over her face from uh, Ninja Turtles, mm. or was that Captain Planet? No, that was Ninja. Was it Ninja Turtles? 
No, that was Captain Planet. Ninja Turtles. That was Captain th- Planet. It was April. Yeah. Who did not have. Blue. No, I didn't. No, 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 not April. Yeah. No, it was Captain Planet. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, but now I get the Spanish Joan of Arc. Whatever. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Just I get Elvis. <laughs> it's okay. I don't see Elvis. I don't see you as Elvis. I'm sorry. But Google did, and that's all that counts. And speaking of <laughs> machine learning, here's a way how to break a capture system in 15 minutes. Basically. All you have to do is take a capture library and then save out all of the possible combinations that it can generate because it usually it's a PHP script. I know we love PHP, uh, where it's always about four letters long. If you save out all of those with and have the file name of the of the image be the the correct text that you're supposed to get, run it through some machine learning, it might actually be able to just figure it out using that specific library. Of course. This does mean that different libraries and different ways of obscuring images would then have to be redone through the same network. However, the fact that you can do this in about 15 minutes is pretty Well, most of the captures have moved to these new ones where it's like you have to I like, don't like identify pictures now. It, it's very long and tedious, I find. It, it is, especially because uh, Google will typically say, click all the images that have a street sign in it, mm-hmm. and then there's one image that has like the bottom edge of a street sign, yeah. and in the pole. It's like, is that the sign? And you click it, it's like, no, you're not a human. Okay, well, screw you, Google. I don't... I'll, I'm going to sue you. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> add me to the lawsuit. Um, yeah. So this article talks about it. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting way of how it starts with an image. It, it, can, it uh, uses some software called OpenCV uh, to trace the regions oh, around the image. OpenCV is uh, like the de facto image processing library. Well, ImageMagic used to be, but I guess... No, ImageMagic is a different kind of image library. Ah, okay. Well... Uh, OpenCV to find contours to detect the separate parts of the image. Uh, sometimes the the letters are overlapped, and so you can actually just run. You could uh, let's see. A simple hack here is to say that if a single contour area is a lot wider than it is tall, that probably means we have two letters squished together. In that case, we can just split the conjoined the conjoined letter in half down the middle and treat it as if it were two separate letters. Huh. And then you just run all these different combinations through machine learning. And then uh, because the key is this, that you have to have the source code to the library that generates the images so it will help train the machine. Anyway, this is another attempt to defeat captures. Previously, they'd been outsourced um, to, like, India. And that's another story. Uh Okay, moving on. Uh, Christian, why couldn't you be this person? How a 22-year-old discovered the worst ship flaw in history. Uh, this uh, uh, J- Jan Horn. Uh, atten- in 2013, a teenager named Jan Horn attended a reception in Berlin hosted by Chancellor Angela Merkel. He, uh, oh, he, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. He and other 64 young Germans had done, had done well in a government-run competition designed to encourage students to pursue scientific research. In Horn's case, it worked. Last summer, as a 22-year-old Google cybersecurity researcher, he was first to report the biggest chip vulnerabilities ever discovered, which we talked about, Meltdown Inspector. And it started, and, and it started with him literally reading all of Intel's documentation, the whole manual. And he was able to figure this out uh, he beat teams, rooms of people, in order to in order to figure this out. And uh, after reading this documentation, and he looked at how Intel chips handled speculative execution, he said, quote, At this point, I realized that the code pattern we were working on might potentially leak secret data. I then realized that this could, at least in theory, affect more than just the code snippet we were working on. 
That started what he calls a gradual process of further investigation that led to the vulnerabilities. Horn said that he was aware of other research, including from Groose and the team at Graz, a lot of Groose, uh, on how tiny differences in the time it takes a processor to retrieve information could let attackers learn where the information is stored. Horn discussed this with another young researcher at Google in Zurich, Felix Wilhelm, who pointed Horn to a similar research he and others had done. This led Horn to what he called a big aha moment. The techniques Wilhelm and others were testing could be inverted to force the processor to run new speculative executions that it wouldn't ordinarily try. This would trick the chip into receiving specific data that could be accessed by hackers. And the rest is history. Smart guy. Yeah, why, why couldn't you be this guy, Christian? Because I had other things to do. You're a child prodigy. I thought Not I was a child prodigy until I met you. <laughs> I think two. I think two main reasons are Eric, and and that's uh, not German and strip clubs. Ah, uh, what? <laughs> that's right. I'm kidding. Wait, well, wait, I didn't actually hear it. Though. I want to hear it. Oh, oh, you said strip clubs. I heard Eric though. Oh, I said no. The two I no time. Yeah. Sorry. The two reasons why why you can't do that is because you're not German and strip clubs. I am German. But you're not from Germany. You're not you're not a young German. You're not a German that was at a Angela <laughs> Merkel speech in 2013. <laughs> exactly. No, I was not. <laughs> so yeah. So why Christian? You got to step it up. Come on. Um, here's something. I, I, speaking of speaking of your brilliance, I, I, I'd like I'd like your insight on this. It's called uh, this. This article is from Nature, which I never thought I'd hear about a computing article from Nature.com, Nature Magazine. In this model, which we call parasitic computing, one machine forces target computers to solve a piece of complex computational problem merely by engaging them in standard communication. It's probably it sounds like that iOS message bug, actually. Um, consequently, the target computers are unaware that they have performed computation for the benefit of a commanding node. As the experimental de- evidence of the principle of parasitic computing, we harness the power of several web servers across the globe, which, unknown to them, work together to solve an NP-complete problem. <laughs> That's kind of funny. So, you, can you uh, elaborate on this, Christian? Because I'm not going to pay for Nature magazine in order to read more of this article. <laughs> yeah, particularly at that price, my God. Uh- <laughs> Full access, two hundred dollars to a website. Great. I think that's even more than the Times. Jesus. Can I? Can I guess what's going on? Well, yeah, sure. go for it. It sounds like like you'd send something, uh, a piece of encoded text, and then they'd have to decode it to read it, and then they'd send back a response with that, and then you'd just take that, and then they did the work for you. Basically, but the idea is like through like process of elimination, you can do this computation that you couldn't do on a single machine by saying like, "Hey, I have this request." Basically, is it valid or not? And then based on, like, oh, 500 or 400 and, or 200, this looks good. You could figure it out. Nice. Cool. And what is an NP-complete problem again? Non-polynomial time. Meaning? Well, so uh, all, all uh, algorithms have a particular uh, time complexity to them. There are sure. certain time complexities that can be expressed in polynomial time. and there's certain... More linear time or exponential time. Or, that, or those are all polynomial yeah. times. A polynomial linear time wouldn't be a polynomial time, would it? Yes, it would. Hmm. Non okay. non polynomial time uh, are these things that can't be expressed in uh, like uh, a, a basically if you can't pr- uh, uh, express it in a equation with an equal sign, then it is not a non polynomial time. Uh, oh uh, man, I'm an idiot. 
I have not. I need. I have. Not, I am starting to forget the math. I used to be so good at math, and then just because I haven't been using it, it's just my brain is rotting. You know what that uh, parasitic computing sounds like? Is is that old commercial where the guy calls and and beats the the collect cable the uh, the collect phone cards? <laughs> I can't talk. <laughs> Remember collect calling from way back in the day? And yeah. Then you yeah. Just, you'd say what the message was instead of your name, and then they just not accept the call. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. You're receiving a collect call from, hey, I'm being mugged. <laughs> I did that. I was like, hey, Dad, come pick me up. <laughs> she accept the call? Nah. <laughs> That's good. Uh, moving on. Uber looks great when the police barge in. They have a specific red button that they press. That activates a huge system that prevents the cops from seeing anything that they're doing because they have been the uh, the ire of law enforcement recently. Um, a lot of <laughs> all the desks sorry? flip over. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All the employees go into like metal cubes. No one can be touched. <laughs> and a lot of companies have stuff like this, but um, it's not nothing. Nobody does it quite like Uber. Rather than relying on timeouts and general encryption, Uber explicitly built a system to counter police raids. This innovation at Uber is to make explicit what traditional companies leave implicit. It turns fuzzy human intuitions into explicit algorithms. Everybody knows that if the police raid your offices, it's best if they can't just look at all of your sensitive documents. Other companies have a crude, haphazard, innocent-looking procedure that happened to keep the cops from looking at those documents. Uber built a whole system and gave it a swaggering name. It takes the procedure one step further, but what a step. <laughs> and basically... Um, where was it? Uh, directed her staff to install a standard encryption service that logs off all computers after 60 seconds of inactivity. They don't want random visitors to, to be able to access their sensitive files. If some of the random visitors are the police, well, then Uber might not be the first company to consider the benefits of keeping those sensitive files for the from the police. So does that system prevent employees from leaving passwords on stickers on their computers? Yes, just like, uh, but not Hawaii's emergency services, I emergency management that. services. <laughs> and I'm go, sure that buddy. might also be the password to the website that sends out the "Holy crap, a missile's going to hit us!" warning. <laughs> I really, I really liked. Uh, someone posted if GitHub had made that missile launch button, and it was like, "Is this what you want to do? Are you sure? Are you still sure?" Type the name of this pass of that <laughs> of this message. Of the code that was times. sent to your phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, two-factor authentication actually would be great for something like that because that is very. You really serious. should have two-factor authentication. But... <laughs> you shouldn't just have a PHP script with a link on it that says "test warning" and then right below it "real warning." <laughs> that is a bad idea. Uh, speaking of of government f ups, uh, the Department of Homeland Security has new demands for passwords on travelers' electronic devices when they cross borders. It's actually not. It's it's from the Department of Homeland Security, the Office of U.S. Customs and Border Protection (CBP). They now say as follows. Travelers are obligated to present electronic devices and the information contained therein in a condition that allows inspection of the device and its contents. Passcodes and other means of entry may be requested and retained as needed to facilitate the examination of electronic device information or sorry of, electro of an electronic device or information contained on electronic devices including information on the device that is accessible through software applications present. If an officer is unable to com uh, to com to complete to complete an, an inspection, can't even type it properly on the government website. That's right. Uh, <laughs> unable to complete an inspection of an electronic device because it is protected by you know because they they have these rules they can't even type them properly. Jesus. Anyway, 
Can't legally buy me to it. (laughs) They're still going to do it, and this is why we're dumb. Anyway, if an officer is unable to to complete an inspection of an electronic device because it is protected by a passcode or encryption, the officer may detain the device pending a determination as to its admissibility, exclusion, or other disposition. So let's say your your disk is fully encrypted, and you cross the border, that the border crossing points do not have any constitutional protection, so you can't say, oh, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, go F yourself. Um, what can we do? Leave your stuff at home? I read an article Send it about in the mail having... to yourself in the new country? This is a great time to have everything stored in the cloud and, ha- and, wor- and travel internationally with a thin client's computer that you wipe whenever you cross a border. Oh, like Chromebook. You should not wipe like, exactly. with a computer. That's bad. Sorry? You should not wipe, should not with, a wipe computer. with a computer. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Uh, no, but that's a, that's a way to get around this because then if you then you can just show them here. Take a look. There's nothing on it. <laughs> you, as we learned, however, you can get a phone inside your butt. Yes, <laughs> 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 that's right. Mobile devices only, people. <laughs> that's right. Um, the uh, what is the PIA? Uh, I don't know what the PIA is. A privacy impact assessment. Uh, the privacy in- impact assessment admits that as a general per, uh, princ- uh, sorry, as a general principle of purpose specification for fair information practices, DHS should specifically articulate the authority which permits the collection of personally identifiable information and specifically articulate the purpose or purposes for which the PII is intended to be used. But the DHS dismisses these concerns by saying, don't worry about it. Translation, Homeland Security can now probe you electronically as hard as they can physically. That's true. <laughs> Man, you're on fire tonight, Tyler. That's pretty... That's <laughs> three in a row. <laughs> Good job. Um, more more government Michigas. The NSA began collecting... Uh, oh, yeah. the N- um, One thing, we have the government shut down. The only thing that the Republicans and Democrats can agree on are measures to increase mass surveillance. It's really sad. There is little doubt that Congress will extend an an expiring statute known as Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act. FISA stands for what, Christian? Um, Federal... Foreign Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. It is the act that allows them to Uh do a bunch of stuff to you. If you are suspected as a terrorist. Anyway, uh, so Section 702 is the most egregious part of that. And it permits the government to collect without a warrant from American firms like Google and AT&T, the emails and other communications of foreigners abroad, even when they are talking to Americans. So don't talk to people in Florida. <laughs> the, NSA, the NSA began collecting Americans' international phone calls and emails without a warrant in October of 2001. As part of a Bush administration's post-September 11 stellar wind program, in 2005, I was saying that they were doing this and people called me crazy. Then when Edward Snowden came out, they said, how did this happen? And I said, I've been saying this for 10 years. Anyway. In 2008, after the program had come to light, Congress legalized a form of it by enacting Section 702 of the FISA law. That, that law, I think this is one of the last things that Bush, uh, during Bush's, um, yeah, because Bush was still president in 08. Um, great. His, this is his le- legacy. Uh, that law enabled the program to expand to Silicon Valley firms, not just telecoms, and to all foreign intelligence purposes, not just counterterrorism. In late 2012, Congress extended the law for five years without changes, which means that it came up for expiry now. And the, exp- and the pending expiration of seven, uh, Section 702 is forcing lawmakers to address its substance for the first time since the 2013 <laughs> leaks about NSA programs by Edward Snowden. So, uh, yeah. 
Uh, let's see. On Thursday, which uh, was this past Thursday. Oh, where did I go? Thursday. There. There I uh, The House will vote on an Intelligence Committee bill that will ha- okay, hold on, House. Okay. House. I don't know why I looked this up. Vote section 702. Uh, extend surveillance law rejecting new privacy safeguards. Great job! Like I said, the only thing that the, the Congress can agree on are ways to evade our right, or erode our rights. Beautiful. And I bet nobody... Oh, never mind. It's getting too political. <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, shove a phone up your butt. Don't store anything on your computer. You'll be fine. And don't wipe with the computer. And don't wipe... Yeah, and you don't want to wipe with the computer while you have the phone up your butt either. Mm-mm, no. No. Mm. No. Um, yeah. All right. Well. Too much Bluetooth in that area. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, the Bluetooth might turn into a blue waffle. Anyway, um, uh, don't look that up. Um, anyway, uh, here's here's some here's something positive. China builds the world's biggest air purifier, and it seems to be working. It's a hundred meters tall, and it really will clean your farts. That's about it. An experimental ta- uh, tower over 100 meters tall uh, in northern China, dubbed the world's largest air purifier by its operators, has brought a noticeable improvement in air quality, uh, among, according to the scientists leading the project. The tower is built in the Xi'an, in the Shangxi province. Yeah? Shangxi. Kind of right? Shangxi province. Undergoing testing by the researchers at the Institute of Earth Environment at the Chinese Academy of Sciences. The head of the research, Kao Junji... How Jumanji said improvements in air quality had been observed over an area of 10 square kilometers in the city over the past few months, and that the tower has managed to produce more than 10 million cubic meters of clean air each day. Huh. It's pretty good. I feel like we should order one for Brooklyn, but I'm worried that the shipping's going to be really expensive. <laughs> I think we need one for smug and not for smog. Ooh, oh, let's take an right. empty wine glass. Thank you. Uh, like I yeah. said. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, I think, well, we're burning through these stories because we're at the last one. This one's about Russia and Pepsi. Oh, boy. Eric's going to lose it. No. Did you know that Russia hacked Pepsi? No, that's not what happened. (laughs) Uh, On April 9th, 1990, American news... This is going to sound like a bedtime story, so I hope you don't mind if I read it. (laughs) I don't have any... uh, Do we have any bedtime music? Uh, what would be good bedtime music? Do, 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 they have like <laughs> they have like Metallica, but the lullaby version. <laughs> There's Nickelback. No, 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 no. There's the Cure. It sounds like the Pink Panther theme, theme song. Actually, uh, I felt like this was like the music they play in the background of uh, comedians and cars getting coffee. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, on April 9th, 1990, American newspapers reported on an unusual deal. Pepsi had come to a $3 billion agreement with the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union had, tra- had long traded Stolichnaya vodka in return for Pepsi concentrate. But this time, Pepsi got 10 Soviet ships. It began with a... Ra- I, need to- I need some music. We need some music with this, but I've already used a lot of the music. We could do... This kind of could be Russian. Yeah. It began with a rare exchange of culture. No. Let's be honest, um, the strip club music is the most Russian music. <laughs> no, that's... It began, no, that's not gonna... No. It is Russian, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I could always do. It began with the rare exchange of culture. In the summer of 1959, the U.S. No. The U.S. All right. It began with a rare exchange of culture. In the summer of 1950... I'm going to put on the, the music again. In the summer of 1959, the USSR had an held an exhibition in New York in the United States Reciprocated. The American National Exhibition in Skolin uh, Sokolini Park, Moscow, featured American products, cars, art, fashion, and an entire model American house. A number of still-familiar brands sponsored exhibits and booths, including Disney, Dixie Cup, IBM, and Pepsi. It became the scene of an infamous kitchen debate. While standing in a mock-up of an American kitchen, Nick Nixon and Russian leader Nikita Khrushchev traded barbs about communism in a recent American resolution on, quote, captive states under Soviet power. Nixon also led Khrushchev toward a display booth that, booth that dispensed nothing other than Pepsi-Cola. Symbolically, the booth offered two batches, one mixed with American water and the other with Russian, which is probably vodka. It was a setup. <laughs> The night before, a Pepsi executive, Donald M. Kendall, had approached Nixon at the American Embassy. As the head of Pepsi's international division, he defied the company's leaders in deciding to sponsor a booth and attend the exhibition. To prove that the trip was worthwhile, he told Nixon, quote, he had to get a Pepsi in Khrushchev's hands. Nixon delivered. A photographer caught Nixon and Khrushchev together at the Soviet as the Soviet leader gingerly sipped his cup of Pepsi. Kendall stands next to the table pouring another cup. Khrushchev's son later recalled that many Russians' first take on Pepsi was that it smelled like shoe wax. But, he added, everyone remembered it even after the exhibition was over. The USSR was Kendall's land of opportunity, and his goal was op to open it up to Pepsi. In 1972, he succeeded in negotiating a cola monopoly and locking out Coke until 1985. Cola syrup began flowing through the Soviet Union, where it was bottled locally. It was a coup. As the New York Times put it, the soda was, quote, the first capitalistic product available in the USSR. Pepsi had become a pioneer, but there was one issue, money. Soviet rubles were worthless internationally, with their value determined by the Kremlin. Soviet law also prohibited the taking the currency abroad, so the USSR and Pepsi resorted to barter. In return for cola, Pepsi received Stolichnaya vodka to distribute in the U.S. By the late 1980s, Russians were drinking approximately a billion servings of Pepsi every year. In 88, Pepsi broadcast the first paid commercials on local TV starring none other than Michael Jackson. The bartering worked well. Stolichnaya was popular in the U.S. An American boycott in response to the Soviet-Afghan war, however, meant that Pepsi wanted something else to trade. So... In the spring of 1989, Pepsi and the Soviet Union signed a remarkable deal. Pepsi began the became the middleman for 17 for oh, sorry. Pepsi became the middleman for 17 old submarines and three warships, including a frigate, a cruiser, and a destroyer for which the company sold for scrap. Pepsi also bought new so Soviet oil tankers and leased them out or sold them in, in partnership with the Norwegian company. In return, the company could more than double the number of Pepsi plants in the Soviet Union. It also ignited jokes that Pepsi was taking the color wars to the high seas. Wow. We're disarming the Soviet Union faster than you are, Kendall quipped to Brent Scowcroft, President George H.W. Bush, national his national security advisor. But that was nothing compared to the 1990s $3 billion deal which was a figure based on Pepsi's estimate of how much sales of cola in the Soviet Union and vodka in America would net them over the next decade. It was the largest deal ever brokered between an American company and the Soviet Union, and Pepsi hoped that it would spur, spur even more expansion. Pepsi looked, uh, even launched another American institution in the country, 
Pizza Hut. The future looked bright. Instead, though, the Soviet Union fell in 1991, taking with it Pepsi's deal of the century. Suddenly, their long balancing act turned into a scramble to protect its assets as a free-for-all made more complex by redrawn borders, inflation, and privatization. The LA Times described how, pizza, how the new Pizza Huts were hobbled their mo- and their mozzarella was sourced from Lithuania. Ugh. The company had hoped to pivot from heavy glass bottles to cheaper plastic, but the plastic company was located in Belarus. Similarly, Pepsi's partially built ships were stranded in the newly independent Ukraine, which, was cu- which also wanted a cut of the sales. Kendall, who had since retired, lamented that the Soviet Union had essentially gone out of business. Over several months, Pepsi pieced, the, uh, part, uh, pieced parts of the deal back together. But instead of wrangling with a single state, they had to broker with 15 countries. Worse, Coca-Cola aggressively entered the former Soviet Union, and because it's a better product, Pepsi struggled to keep its advantage. That's my personal view. Among other marketing strategies, it launched a giant replica Pepsi can up to the Mir space station for a commercial and directed two iconic billboards over bustling Pushkin Square in Moscow. Russia is still Pepsi's second biggest market outside the U.S., but their pioneering luster has faded. It doesn't help that Pepsi has been around for so long that other sodas seem novel by comparison. After only a few years, Coke beat out Pepsi as Russia's most popular cola. Maybe Pepsi should have held on to that destroyer. <laughs> and that's it. All right. Coke Good sunk story. Pepsi's battleship. So. That brings us to the end of yet another Polar Quest, guys. Uh, Christian, do you approve of this week's episode? I certainly do. That sounds really good. <laughs> how, about, how about you, Tyler? Do you approve of this week's Polar Quest? Yes, PR style. Wow. Great. How about our studio audience? Wonderful. Well, then let's all hit merge. Ah. And we'll see you next week right here on Power Quest. This has been the Pneumonium Production. The views and opinions expressed on Public Quest do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Wolfpack. Visit them.